an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Number two of the Lombardi line presented by BetMGM. Dave Ross alongside Michael Lombardi. And Michael going to have Thomas Gable join us uh, at the bottom half of this hour from the Borgata yesterday. See how they cleaned up. Hopefully they did well uh, with UFC 276. My card was very checkered. A lot, of, a lot of checks and a lot of X's uh, towards the end of the night. We'll get to that. And then Mark Maskey's going to join us from the Washington Post, get his thoughts on Deshaun Watson. As you mentioned at the beginning of the show, boy, oh, boy, he's been all over the Deshaun Watson uh, case here. So before you make those Browns wagers, you might want to listen to what Mark has to say coming up later on this hour. But let's stay in that division because yesterday you and I had, I thought, a, a very uh, educated conversation about the Philadelphia Eagles before you maybe you, you bet those futures markets uh, tickets for the Eagles. Because they say they got a super team, right? We heard this in 2011. Let's see how it works out in Philadelphia. Joe Mixon of the Bengals is like, hey, don't forget about us here in the Who Days. And he said, and I yeah. quote, I feel like we might be the hottest thing smoking in the NFL. Michael Lombardi, they're almost a two-to-one dog just to win their own division. Everybody's talking about the AFC West. Everybody's talking about everybody else other than the Bengals, who, oh, by the way, came within maybe a couple first downs of beating the Rams to be Super Bowl champions. What do you make of Mixon? And they're about plus $1.85 to win the North. Are we overlooking the team that was in the Super Bowl just last year? I think we are in the sense that we are kind of counting on Super Bowl fever or runner-up fever to affect them. Because their team's better this year. Really, they are. I mean, their offensive line is much improved. The addition of Collins, your former Cowboy at right Mm -hmm. tackle, is a complete upgrade. Alex Kappa from Tampa Bay is an upgrade at right guard. And then you've got Ted Karras, who's an upgrade at center to go along with Jackson Carmen and Jonah Williams to fill out the offensive line. Yes, they lost the tight end CJ to the Jets, Mm -hmm. but they signed Hayden Hurst. Kind of an un, un, un... Nobody really, you know, I think if you asked about 50 people where Hayden Hurst is playing, I don't think anybody would have guessed the Bengals, right? <laughs> right. Kind of That went under the radar a little bit. And defensively, you know, they've got to get Bates under contract, but they brought pretty much everybody back that they needed to be back in, in there. Will they hold up in the secondary? I don't know. But Hendrickson played really well. Hubbard plays very well. You know, they've got DJ Reader inside. So, look, I, I think it's a, a good team, and I don't underestimate Joe Burrow. I think this guy's so good, and and, they, and Mixon is outstanding. I mean, if Mixon's on the field in the Super Bowl, David, boy, you know, instead of in, instead of Sammy Sam J. Perrine, I mean, they're going to get that first down, and they're going and they've got the best kicker. What's fascinating about the North in the AFC is McPherson and, and Tucker have made the other teams really up their kicking game. Wow, because they, you know, look. McPherson, the fifth-round pick, was the difference in that playoff run. He really was. And with Tucker, you know, you got two guys who are going to make clutch kicks and make them 
you know, under pressure. And so the Browns draft a guy from, you know, they draft a guy in, I think, the fourth round to up to help their kicking, which was a real issue for them last year. I mean, that was a real problem. The, the Brownies struggled to make a lot of kicks. They went through kickers, and it's not an easy venue to kick in, right? Mm-hmm. So they draft a Cade York kid in the fourth round. You know, he's from Texas, but he's LSU kid. But can he actually make the kicks? They obviously think he can. That's a huge grade. They put a fourth-round pick in that. That's the McPherson effect. So going back to the Bengals, they've got really good kicker. They've got a really good quarterback. They've got great skill players. Their offensive line is better. Defensively, they're improved. You know, And when you look at their numbers last year, they, they were good. I mean, they were, they were not great against the pass last year. I think teams could throw the football effectively. But when the playoffs came around, they were much better in that area. So, look, I, I, I have a lot of hope for them, and I have faith in Burrow. I have faith in him as a leader to come back. I've got so many questions for you here, but really uh, I want to start macro because nobody knows what this is like to come off a Super Bowl run like you do. So we know obviously you play a longer season. That's different from all the teams that missed the playoffs and get almost an extra month to prepare for the next year. So that's the first you know, distraction or drawback, if you will, from going deep into a playoff run all the way to the Super Bowl. But mentality-wise, what is it? You know, the Patriots are still the last team to repeat, and that was in the mid-2000s here, right? So what is it for the Bengals? What do they have to do to get last year out of their head and start anew this year in order for some of these props to hit? Well, I think what they have to do is kind of move on from it, but they have to they have, to have trained in the offseason. I think what gets the teams that finish second, that have the Super Bowl fever or the runner-up fever, if you will, is they don't spend the offseason working as hard as they need to work. Right. And so what then happens is the injuries creep in and all of a sudden you start missing players. I mean, if they miss Burrow for any extended period of time, run them out. You know, they're not going to do it. Even if they miss if they miss Mixon, you know, they're not going to be the same team. I mean, every team is is has to stay healthy. It's one of the great secrets that the Rams have been able to do Mm -hmm. since McVay's been there. They have no depth, but they seem to stay healthy at all the key positions. And I think that's one of the things they've got to be able to do if you are the Bengals is stay healthy. Can they stay healthy through the season? Will they not lose key players to their team? You know, and they're going to have to figure out a way to do that. And usually because of the season, the length of the season, the players tend to let their offseason not be have, have as much intensity as it needs to. We'll see if this happens. You know, you make a great point, certainly about McPherson uh, last year, what a difference he made. And it's been a running joke with, with Wes Reynolds and I, and certainly even Will Hill on the green zone on Sundays here at Vison. I, I need to get a, a t-shirt that's just says, take the points. Like, that, you know, you get down there, and I know it's kind of antithetical to today's football, but the Bengals did that a lot. And they would take those points, and they would rely on their kicker, and they would get leads or stay in games and wait for a break to go here or there. Uh, I think that that's a good strategy when you have a dependable kicker like they have and certainly Baltimore has in Tucker. When you look at their betting profile, 20 to 1 to win the Super Bowl uh, this year, to win the division, as I mentioned, plus 185, you got to lay small juice if you think they're going to make the playoffs again, just minus $1.20. And their win total is interesting to me at 9.5. You know, we talk about the AFC West beating each other up. And then you look at the North, and I I think a lot of people like Baltimore to go last to first because of injuries like we talked about, if you keep Lamar Jackson healthy. But that 10 wins, that's an interesting number in a 17-game season uh, for these kiddies from Cincinnati. If if you keep Burrow and Mixon healthy and Jamar Chase and the defense is better, I feel like this is a 10-win football team again. Do you? Yeah, I mean, and look, I, I do. And, and you got to take some of the things that have happened. They lose in overtime to San Francisco with their 7-6. and six. And at that point, in mid-December before Christmas, I don't think anybody thought they were going to go to the Super Bowl. They come back and they beat Denver in a kind of a slugfest out in Denver. But from that point, from December the 19th until February the 13th, they only committed two turnovers in those eight games. They only committed two turnovers in that eight games. Wow. So they what they did from that point forward was protect the football. Now they lost to the Browns in the in the regular season. They didn't need to win that game. That was a game that they didn't they didn't need to win to be able to do it. So mm-hmm. dismiss that. But through it all, they've been able to to not turn the ball over and they've been able to create turnovers. I mean, one of the things that they did in the playoffs, besides make field goals, is they were they were plus seven in turnover takeaway. They only had two turnovers in the playoff game, one against Tennessee and one against Kansas City. That's it. That's the difference. Now, as a better, we have to say to ourselves, can they duplicate that? 
can they honestly do that? Because we go back to the Charger game, they had four turnovers. We go back to the Cleveland game the first time they played it. When they got blown out, oh, they boy. had three. Mm-hmm. You know, So what personality of team is going to show up? Did they fix a problem? And then I think the other one that I think you got to really pay close attention to is how good they were on fourth down. They were the second best team, th- excuse me, the third best team on fourth down conversions with their offense. They were the second best team on stopping you on fourth down. That's that's game changing. Absolutely. Can they duplicate that? Can they duplicate that? Those are things that I think are hard to duplicate. And I think the the, be- the the people that are so smart that give us this number nine and a half, they've analyzed that mm-hmm. and and their law of probability to be able to duplicate the eight weeks with two turnovers to duplicate the third and th- fourth down convert. Those are hard things to duplicate. And maybe that's why Joe Burrow, as we saw against Tennessee, he takes sacks because he doesn't want to throw it up for grabs. They'd rather punt. That's right. They'd rather play old school football. Play you know punt. Field position, defense, field goals, those sort of things. I know that people don't like to hear that in this day and age, but it did work to their to their success last year. Joe Burrow's twelve to one. I'm seeing in most markets here to win MVP. What did you see from Burrow last year? Because remember, he got hurt in that Green Bay game and it looked bad, and you thought, "Oh no, this kid's not going to be able to go." We know about the moxie, but just the actual play besides the myth of Joe Burrow now from uh, LSU uh, and now in Cincinnati. What do you see, Michael? I think he's just going to get more and more comfortable, right? I think his his process is quicker. I think he's going to have more trust in his offensive line this season. And I think he's going to continue to develop. And, I mean, he's got opportunity to get the ball, whether it's to the middle of the field with Hurst and Semple as his tight ends or it's on the outside with Chase. And I think these guys will keep continuing to make great strides in their improvement because when they do that, they become more effective. I mean, we talked about it yesterday, David. You know, we talk about percentage of – the, of completions to throws, right? Mm-hmm. This team was 71.1%. When he threw the ball to the receivers, whoever they were, running backs, tight ends, or receivers, it was a 71% chance of completion. That's pretty darn good. Ooh. Now, Chase was only at 63.3%. I mean, Chase was a little low. He'll get that up to 70 because they'll get more comfortable. You know, Tyler Board was 71.3, so he'll get, the, you know, they'll continue to improve in that area. And they've got players that can run with the ball after the catch. I, I think they're really going to be a hard team, but they, there's a lot of things they have to duplicate that are hard to duplicate, the turnovers particularly. And Zach Taylor, very quickly in the last minute here, Michael, we thought he was Sean Penn, dead man walking, and not only uh, did he yeah. get the, right, and then all of a sudden he flips the script and gets a new deal. Uh, what would you make of that turnaround? Well, I mean, look, I, I still think Sean, Zach Taylor, I think he cost him the Super Bowl. Mm. You know, I think he cost him a Super Bowl. I mean, when the assistant coach walks up to him and says, "You want me to put, want me to put uh, uh, mixing in the game?" No, yeah. no big deal. No, we'll, then they runs it with Pariah. I mean, at that point in the game, your best players have to play. That, yeah. That's it. You put your best players on the field. And if you get stopped, like, let's not mess around with it. Right. And you get stopped with Joe Mixon, you tip your cap, right? Like, right. if I go down with my best guys, I can live with that. It's hard to do it with Samaj P. Ryan. No disrespect to him, but clearly Joe Mixon was the best option there. When we come back, we did some red chippers yesterday. Let's do those blue chip safeties that you see, Michael. Come on back. It's the Lombardi Line on Visa and the Sports Betting Network. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, are like, you know, who's ready to get Creighton? You don't watch Creighton. And I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shannon the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, not gonna, the not the Big East tournament. They're, well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team. That cool. Like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton. Is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. That like that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a is a good team. Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> and then they're never at any of the Yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Dirk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Dirk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? See the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Ah! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Time to download Nevada's premier sports betting app, BetMGM Sports. BetMGM is all of your favorite wagering options, along with in-game betting, boosted odds specials, and much, much more. Download the BetMGM app today or stop by any MGM casino on the strip with your state-issued ID to open up an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM's state-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Rolling along here on the Lombardi Line, Dave Ross here at South Point Casino in Las Vegas. Michael Lombardi back home in New Jersey. And, Michael, yesterday we did blue chip and red chip safeties. And again, the criteria there is the, you want to try to, as you explained yesterday in the show, accumulate as much of these either red chippers or blue chippers as you can get on your board. But the blue chippers are the premium. These are the top dogs that you see out there uh, by position. And today we are going to continue with the safety conversation. When you see a blue chipper, Michael, what to you qualifies as a blue chip safety? Well, I think what qualifies is they make plays regardless of the level of competition. And they're elite in their ability. They tackle. They don't miss tackles. They don't miss their opportunities at interceptions. They make plays on the football. They play the game in balance. They play on all three levels of the defense. They're not limited to just being in the box safety. So I think, and they have range. And one thing I think we've lost sight of when we, because of the NFL draft and we always talk about this guy's a first rounder or this guy's a second rounder, there's always verbiage attached to a player's grade. It's not a number. You know, a, a player needs verbiage to, the grade needs to describe the player. Hmm. And so when you're giving guys a high grade, a blue chip grade, which would be you're in the top five players at the position, it says that you match every level of competition, that you're, that you're never taken out of the game, that you'll continue to show up regardless of the competition, and you make plays when, when the game's on the line. Okay? So I think that's really the criteria. You know, and, and it's important to understand, you know, because, again, and there's also levels of blue chip, right? So if, if a grade is a 7-0 to a 9-0, you know, you got a scale to work with on blue chip players. So what I tried to do is go through all the safeties, kind of look at what they're able to bring to the table. Can they play on three levels? Do they impact the defense? And more importantly than ever, do they coordinate the defense on the field? Okay, let's talk about those blue chippers that you've identified right now in the NFL, uh, your top five. And it's interesting to start off in Buffalo here because they've got a couple safeties that might make up the best tandem. Right, no doubt. And I probably should have put Poyer and Hyde in the same category. I put Hyde here because Hyde's a better cover guy. Hmm. Now, both both guys are corners. Right, Hyde would play, was a corner at Iowa. Poyer was a corner at Oregon State. We claimed him when I was in, in Cleveland off the waiver wire uh, because he had been cut. He was a seventh rounder. People felt like he couldn't run fast enough. But the combination of the two when they go inside are very good. You know, and it's the strength of the Buffalo defense is their ability to tackle, their ability to cover, their ability to not have to always kind of manipulate 
with the coverages. These guys can play in the middle of the field, they can attack, and they both make plays on the football. They're really good. Derwin James, to me, should make more plays on the ball than he does, but he's a very good tackler. He's more effective in the box than he is high. You know, I think he would be a better player. You know, he needs to continue to improve. Plus, he's got some durability issues, but Mm -hmm. I do think he impacts the game. Fitzpatrick, to me, is a guy that, you know, he's the highest paid safety, and he he had 129 tackles last year, sensational. Made a lot of plays, 12 passes broken up. That's almost one a game. I mean, that's really darn good when you're (laughs) around the football that much. Yeah. You know, and so you're able to do some different things, and I I think it really benefits him. I mean, he's, he's... the, the cornerstone of their defense, and it shows up every week on tape. I think there's no doubt about that. Justin Simmons, to me, with Denver, is really a good player. I mean, you know, first of all, he's one of the best tacklers, I think, in the league. He had over 80 tackles last year. He had 12 passes broken up. You know, people talk about Patrick Sertan having a great rookie season. Patrick Sertan had 14 passes broken up. Uh, Simmons had 12. You know, Whew. makes a lot of tackles. He had five interceptions. You know, he's around the ball. He hit the quarterback twice. So he can make plays on any level of the defense. And now, is he an elite one-on-one cover guy? No, that's not his game. His game isn't man-to-man. I mean, can he? but he's really smart. He's really instinctive. And I just think, to me, and he gets the defense to play so well, you know, that I think he's a, you know, one of the best safeties in all of football. And then to me, the next guy that I think is the best safety in football is Kevin Bernard, the kid from Middle Tennessee, who was a really good college player coming out. You know, he had 88 tackles last year, led the, led the, led the Tennessee Titans in tackles, mm. right? Had five interceptions, had 13 passes broken up. You know, he, and, and really the only guy that – and he was third on the team in passes broken up which is a significant number, especially because corners are going to get more plays and more involved in the action. Now, they also have Hooker, who's a good player too. Yeah. Hooker missed four games last year. You know, So the strength of their team is in the middle of the field. And with Jeffrey Simmons as a defensive tackle and with David Long's playing, this is why Tennessee's a good team. You know, their defense got better as the year went on, but it's set by Bard, and I think he's really, really a good player. You know, my guy Lorenzo Alexander, when he was still with the Buffalo Bills, he would tell me each and every week how good Micah Hyde uh, certainly is, and I think the rest of the league, and certainly you've identified him as a blue-chip safety out there. I think conspicuous by his absence on this list, some people are going to go, where's Jamal Adams? Right, because it's not even close. Right, and that, but, I mean, but that's it, that's exactly to your point. Of, that's your point about first round pick, right, and where he's drafted, and then well, he's what's... the greatest PR. He's <laughs> he's created his own PR machine. You know, he demanded to get paid. I mean, he, here's what I also I had five six guys that I considered that were could have been red chips. You know, and it was Mathau May who mm-hmm. only played six games. The kid from the Jets who just signed with the yeah. with the the Saints. You know, Jesse Bates at Cincinnati who had a good year, only had one interception. Duger, I think, is probably a red chip. I I might have cheated him. He played really well for New England last year, and then Tracy Walker at Detroit. If he was on a good team, he would be a red chip. But I mean. Adams isn't even a consideration. Adams is misclassified. He's not a safety. He's a linebacker. Right. He's not a safety. He's a complete liability in coverage. In fact, when you're game planning on Tuesday, on Monday and Tuesday, you're looking for him in coverage. And Pete's sitting in his office looking to get him out of coverage. That's not an elite player. Like, that's not – no matter how much he tells us he's an elite (laughs) player, because he does. He tells us he's an elite player. People attack him. You know, and what they gave up to get him and what they pay him, to me, I've never gotten it. Like, there was a time and place in the National Football League where a cover three strong safety existed. It no longer does. And Pete had one with Camp Chancellor he paid a fifth-round pick for. That's right. And he overpaid for it. They overpaid for Adams. I mean, to me, it's one of the worst deals ever. And I respect John Snyder and Pete Carroll tremendously. I do. But I don't see this one. You know, I, I remember when, when Brian Erlacher came out, and remember he was a safety, and they, they moved him to, to linebacker in Chicago, and he's in the Hall of Fame. Can you move Jamal Adams at this point? Can, not move him. Well, they have. Him. They already have. Okay. They basically, they call it big nickel. Okay. So they, he plays down in the box, and they take a will linebacker off the field, and they put him in there. Now, what happens when they do that is he loses his effectiveness in matchups. Right, so when he had the Goodyear Blitzen, people were putting running backs on him. Sammy, Sam J. Perrine's trying to block him. He can't. Mm. But you put an offensive lineman on him, he gets blocked. Right. right? You put a tight end on him, he gets blocked. Now, in the run game, what he was was always the extra defender. So he's running to the football to get the ball. Nobody's blocking him. 
But in the run game, when they started to account for him, look, we got to block at, we got to block them. Get somebody on them. Okay, now we're done. That's how you define the player. Can you take him out of the game? Yeah, once we do that, you could take him out. It's like, to me, it's the whole problem with Kyle Pitts being the fourth pick overall in the draft. Yeah, he's a great player, great talent, but he's a wide receiver. He's not a tight end. Right. Like, nobody's running the ball behind Kyle Pitts. So what does that mean? <laughs> the defense puts Nickel on the field. They could care less if he lines up at wide. They know they're not running the ball behind him. So the matchup that you wanted when you made him the fourth pick in the draft was to get him against the linebacker, to get him against a bad-looking safety who can't cover. Well, you can't do that. No. Because you can't run. He's not multidimensional. Whereas if you put Gronk at the end of the line mm. and you say, okay, we're going to play nickel, Gronk, will block, Gronk you'll He'll be running the ball right down to your throat. If you want to play base, they put Gronk outside, extend him outside the numbers, and now you've got a whole passing tree. Uh, let me very quickly get about 90 seconds to go here. I look at, say, Troy Palomalu and a Ronnie Lott historically in the safety position. W- what would be the differences in two elite Hall of Famers to you? Because Lott, we just remember as the hitter, and Palomalu seemed like he was just everywhere. Well, first of all, Ronnie Lott started at a corner. He started the game. He was an all-pro corner. And then he kicked inside. And he was a dynamic hitter. Ronnie Lott could do anything on the field at any time he wanted. He could play on all three levels. And he could go out and cover. I mean, he did his first three or four years in the league. He covered a corner. Palomalo is a guy that had great range. He had great instincts. He cheated the defense. He would line up and disguise it. You would see him down there sniffing his nose around by the, 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 the defensive end, you know, and you think he's coming, and then all of a sudden he had the deep part of the field. He was very explosive in a short area, and he was a very good tackler, and he was really instinctive. I, I, we could go on for about an hour on those conversations of Ronnie Lott and Troy Palomalu, uh, two of the best to ever do it at the safety position, because I absolutely love that insight. Uh, we are going to get up with, the, with Thomas Gable here in just a second when we go to break here, and I'm very curious to get his take on UFC 276, how everything broke down last night at the Borgata, and again, later on, don't go anywhere, because Mark Maskey from the Washington Post is going to join us. Before you make those plays on the Cleveland Browns, just listen to what Mark has to say about what the NFL might end up doing with Deshaun Watson. Don't go anywhere. Much more to get to right here on the Lombardi Line on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Summer special is here. For only $19, you get everything VEASAN has to offer from now to the end of July. Sign up today. You're going to get VEASAN's daily best bets, including Adam Burke's daily MLB best bets, NFL preseason coverage, premium articles on golf, UFC, USFL, and NASCAR. And if you want that full VEASAN experience, which features a daily best bets email, every edition of Point Spread Weekly, use of our betting tools, and a live video stream whenever you want it, the cost is only $19 to be a subscriber through the end of the month. July 31st. So sign up now at vison.com slash summer. Back alongside Michael Lombardi, I'm Dave Ross. This is the Lombardi Line here on Vison. Always a pleasure to have Thomas Gable, the director of Borgata Race and Sportsbook. Join us once again, Michael, because I was glued to UFC 276 yesterday, and we had Thomas on yesterday before the fights. And Thomas, I kept waiting to see if any buyback would come in on Jared Cannonier, the challenger. And out here in Las Vegas, the price tag for Israel Adesanya kept going up, up, up. And it looks like those backers of Izzy, it paid off with a five-round. It kind of coasted to victory in this one, Thomas. How did you guys make yeah. out in the main event? And i got to be honest, I was a little surprised. I know the crowd was kind of lackluster here at T-Mobile. They were booing uh, some of the action. Maybe they didn't understand the technical aspect of Adesanya's performance. But from a betting perspective, what did you see in that main event? Well, as you said, the price kept going up through the day, and – Honestly, what happened here was, uh, you know, Adesanya, we talked about it yesterday, the price really kind of prohibited if you want to bet him. I mean, we're seeing some crazy people betting 30000 and laying, you know, 550 uh, <laughs> to, uh, you know, take back maybe uh, 5000 But uh, it's uh, it, it was tough um, with the way that that whole card went because the the parlay liability kept building. Mm. Uh, Adesanya was in every parlay it seemed yesterday, and I don't know if you you know if you follow that card along. The first fight of the night in the early prelims, Jessica Rose Clark. Yes, I think she was you know obviously the favorite in that lost. Uh, she was um, 
submitted there, but every favorite then just went on a run after that. And, um, you know, obviously the O'Malley fight ended in no contest. I think it was up until the uh, Pereira fight, and Pereira was only a slight dog. Mm -hmm. Um, That was almost a pick-em fight. Uh, Pereira won that, but uh, if you were betting the favorites last night in the UFC, you made money. So uh, we certainly got hit with some parlays. People love to put uh, the favorites into parlays, you know, four or five teamers. So uh, that's what was happening there, building up to the Adesanya fight. Um, uh, what do you think of his entrance there, coming out as the Undertaker? I, <laughs> I think know, it's, it, it's amazing. You, you should go out there and be like Paul Bear, hold the urn for him <laughs> as, as he enters. I thought it was great. You know, it was interesting, uh, Michael. I'm not sure if you saw it too, because Vince McMahon no, I, was. I, I, I'm going to be the first to confess I, I didn't saw it. You love it. I, I have not gotten into it. I, I, it's something for me that, I, I, you know, that people complain about the NFL and, and the concussion protocol yeah. and being too violent. And then oh. I watched that, and I'm like, how is nobody complaining <laughs> about this? Well, it's why New York didn't regulate the sport uh, forever, right? It, it took a long yeah. time for New York City to get on board and get the sport actually licensed to, to have fights there at Madison Square Garden, which we do have now. But but it was it was amazing because I, I do think Israel Adesanya's entrance as the Undertaker and Vince McMahon was in attendance for it, and he did the mm-hmm. whole Paul Barrow thing as, as Thomas is alluding to was better than the fight. The entrance was amazing. And it, I'm not trying to knock Israel Adesanya in his performance. He was just that good against Jared Cannonier that Cannonier couldn't do anything as the dog. And as you mentioned, Thomas, the price kept going up and up and away. But I saw a lot of people tweeting, if you come out to The Undertaker, you have to finish your opponent. And he didn't do that. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> yes. Seeing on but he kind of stuck to the game plan that we talked about yesterday yeah, for that did. fight. And, you know, he, he did what we thought he was going to do, and, you know, it paid off for him. He, he came out as, as the victor. Um, the, the co-main event there, mm-hmm. um, that was actually one of the few fights that we needed the favorite in uh, with Volkanovski. Uh, people were betting Holloway. And that was actually the best decision of any of the fights on the card for us. Uh, that that worked well. And then the um, the the Lawler fight as well. Um, wow. That was actually probably the the most heavily bet fight. I think that fight had the biggest handle on it of any of on the card. And um, what well, decision went our way in that? Uh, we we uh, we like Barbarina there, but. Um, but yeah, people were definitely back in Lawler, but another that was another uh, entertaining one, at least. Yeah, that was the fight of the night, for sure. And very quickly, because, you know, the, the fight that, that surprised me the most was the Pajeda fight against Sean Strickland. And Strickland mm-hmm. decided, with a guy who's got just crazy knockout power, to walk in with his chin up and his hands down. And then you see what happens when you do that. Yeah. We know that that's now, and Izzy called him out, and he's, Israel Adesanya has lost to him twice in other organizations once in a brutal knockout. Thomas, have you thought about where that line might open with Pajeda against Israel Adesanya when they, in fact, do do battle? Uh, I haven't given it much thought at all, Dave. I really haven't. Okay. Uh, but certainly, um, you know, Adesanya would be would be favored in that. No, no question. He's still going to be a prohibitive favorite here uh, yep. against Izzy, or excuse me, against Pajeda, but it, this is a guy that he's got history with, and it's not good history, but he did call him out, and Pajeda came back out after his knockout of Sean Strickland and watched the performance right there, octagon side, so that is going to be the next fight for the middleweight strap. Uh, so still a very entertaining card over uh, throughout the whole thing. We've been talking a lot today, Thomas, Michael and I, about the NBA, and certainly you know, every day it feels like numbers are changing based on where Kyrie Irving might go. Now that you're hearing this Laker talk here and that it feels like there could be a trade partner there with Russell Westbrook coming back potentially to Brooklyn, but we are hearing Philadelphia as well. How do you guys safeguard yourselves uh, in the event that we don't know exactly where he's going to go, but we do believe he's going to go somewhere? How in the world do you kind of decipher and kind of weed through all the noise that you're hearing with Kyrie and KD? Well, I think you know the market certainly reacts when you hear these uh, these bits of news come out, and you know KD demanding uh, to be traded from the Nets. So, you know the Nets, uh, you know their their price uh, went up, you know for uh, their futures, and then you you talk about the potential landing spots for these guys, and you, you adjust. You, you do adjust. Uh, you don't want to over adjust because uh, anytime you 
uh, bring a team down, you know, you're going to have to move another one up. So you have to be careful uh, when you're doing that in the futures pool. But the Lakers, you know, they're 11-1 to to win the title right now. Um, I can't say that uh, we've had a rush of people, you know, coming in to try to bet the Lakers uh, just on, on this news. Um, the uh, the 76ers obviously are popular. They're always a popular play. Uh, they're, they're, we have them at 12 to one right now to win the title. So I, I don't know how good of a chance that they really have of uh, landing Kyrie. Um, obviously, I think uh, Michael. I would assume Tobias Harris has to be involved in that in that deal yeah. along with Thibel more than likely. Yeah, that that makes that you could do that trade if you wanted to, and whether they wanted to or not, I don't know. But my right. question to you is. The the Brooklyn. Do you have to keep Brooklyn at ten to one in case Durant has a change of heart, or in case of you know maybe you know this could turn the other way and he comes back to Brooklyn? No, I think because again you you have to you do have to adjust. So Brooklyn was a team. You know Brooklyn's now thirty to one. So so you went to thirty uh, to one. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things now if. Obviously, if something happens here and Durant has a change of heart and uh, they, they keep Kyrie, then okay, then, then you adjust off of that news. But, um, you know, right now it's certainly looking like neither one of those guys are going to be there next year and, you know, probably have uh, Ben Simmons there left uh, holding the bag. Thomas, uh, you know, as we one day away before we get to the 4th of July, as a Metropolitan fan, a long-suffering one at that, you know, the Braves are starting to breathe down their neck a little bit here. Are, yeah. are, are you seeing people back in your neck of the woods starting to jump off that Metropolitan ship? Are they waiting for Scherzer to come back? We know he's coming back. And, and DeGrom now, we're hearing the news that he could be back in the fold here. Uh, are you still seeing some people bet on the Mets in those futures markets? Oh, yeah. Uh, every day, Dave. And, um, you know, that's the thing. Even yesterday, um, you know, MLB, we, we ended up with a decent day, even despite two Yankees victories yesterday. They took two from the Guardians yesterday, but the Mets lost and the Phillies lost. So, you know, it doesn't come down necessarily that easy every day for us, but you have to look at those three teams really for us on a daily basis <laughs> and how they do. Um, it, it certainly, uh, you can get a good idea of how our baseball slate goes uh, for that particular day. But no, the, the Mets are still getting bad. I think nobody's really in panic mode. Uh, yet uh, with them, because as you said, you know who's kind of waiting in the wings to come in with the the Grom we haven't seen yet, uh, and and Scherzer will certainly be back. So uh, I don't think there's any panic that has set in here, at least that we've seen with the Mets. But it does feel like the Braves win every day. I mean, every day, gentlemen. Can they just slow down a little bit? Uh, Thomas, appreciate your insight as always. Have a great Fourth of July. Thanks, TG. Thanks, TG. I got to right, find out about twenty-eight twenty-five last night, TG. I got to find out. You got to tell me about uh, what happened. That was the spot last night. Yeah, that was the spot <laughs> last night. There he is, Thomas Gable, everybody, over at the Borgata. Appreciate him, as always. All right, Michael, when we come back, Mark Maskey is going to join the program from the Washington Post. Cannot wait to catch up with Mark. Come on back. It's the Lombardi Line right here in Vison, the Sports Betting Network. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, 
6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, Demarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to do That's my, my dance, bro. Sportsbooks unleashes the spirit of Las Vegas with BetMGM Rewards. Every time you make a wager at BetMGM, you're going to earn BetMGM Rewards points that you can redeem for online bonus credits like free bets and risk-free tokens. Planning a trip to Vegas? Well, come on out. Convert those BetMGM points into MGM Rewards points that you can use towards dining shows and hotel rooms at over 20 MGM Resort properties located in the Las Vegas Strip and nationwide. BetMGM Rewards is sports betting's premier loyalty program featuring exclusive offers, incredible experiences, and valuable perks when you wager on the BetMGM app. Sign up with BetMGM or go on today to get an even bigger piece of the action with BetMGM Rewards. Eligible restrictions to apply. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Back alongside Michael Lombardi, I am Dave Ross. This is the Lombardi Line. And Michael, back in my early days in Washington, D.C. in the 2000s, we would have Mark Maskey come in from the Washington Post to help break down Washington football. And we had a segment called On the Mark. He has been on the mark for decades at the Washington Post. It's great to have Mark Maskey join the program today. Mark, how are you, my friend? It's been a long time, and Michael and I are excited to have you on because I know it's just been another ho-hum, boring offseason so far for you. You're making us sound old, Dave. I mean, you, should, uh, you shouldn't give that away. That was just a few years ago. That's just a couple years. Exactly, yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, no, and, and, and in terms of the NFL offseason, I'm, you know, I'm still sort of waiting for the offseason to be. Where, where's the off and offseason? It hasn't turned off yet. Maybe for a day or two right before training camp, but maybe not even that much. You know, Mark, you've done a great job reporting on the Watson thing. You've seemed wired into the league office, and you kind of have been one step ahead of everybody. As you take a step back and look over this whole tr- this whole process, what do you think this the suspension will be once it's agreed upon by both parties? You know, Michael. I mean, I I, I, I think the prediction business is is really like next to impossible right now. And and, and you know, I know that's a cop out of an answer, but. I think what people need to understand is it's always hard to predict what's going to happen on NFL discipline, but in this case, you know, you're dealing with an entirely new system, the very first case in the new system, the very first case for new disciplinary officer Sue Robinson. So people who are, you know, and I've seen some attempts uh, throughout the process, and especially lately, to kind of read the tea leaves and, oh, you know, the league came in at seeking an indefinite suspension of at least one year. The NFLPA is seeking no suspension whatsoever. So therefore, you know, some people are going to say, well, Sue Robinson, based on the evidence and what people think the evidence was and, and, and the things that have come out of the hearing, that therefore Sue Robinson is going to come out with, you know, six to eight games or halfway or, or whatever is halfway now in a 17-game season, if that's, you know, eight or nine. I, I, I just think it's, it's, it's impossible to say. I mean, uh the way the process goes now, and I, I think some people now understand that, but maybe not all the listeners is, there's been a hearing. Now, Sue Robinson, the disciplinary officer, is jointly appointed by the NFL and NFLPA, will come out with her ruling. 
Now, as, as long as she rules that there was a violation of the personal conduct policy and sets any kind of discipline, then either side, the NFL or the NFLPA, can appeal to Roger Goodell or a person designated by him. The only way the case is over at this step is if she rules there was no violation of the personal conduct policy whatsoever. Then the case is over. There's no appeal possible. So, you know, I, I think we're still fairly, you know, obviously it's been going on a long time, but mm-hmm. in terms of the process and the disciplinary process, we're still very early, it's fairly early in it, and it's still hard to make a call. Talking with Mark Maskey of the Washington Post. And, and Mark, to that end, I know a lot of people out there are going to say, man, he didn't even play last year. How could they not have this all already figured out before we even get to this season? And we're now getting closer and closer to training camp, and we keep hearing that we we, we think we're going to get word before training camp on Deshaun. Had, was it decided earlier, and then with more and more cases keep coming out, do they have to almost say, okay, we got to hold up until we know absolutely everything? Because it feels like it's been ever-changing as more names have come out against Deshaun Watson. You know, I think you're right about that. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's fluid. It, things keep happening. Things keep coming up. But also, you know, it's a process. The league has to, you know, conduct the investigation, has to see where the investigation takes it and then has to then, in this new process, it, it, it sort of prolongs it in the fact that it's not just the NFL conducting the investigation and deciding what to do. So now we had to have these extra steps of, of the case presented to Sue Robinson, the disciplinary officer. You know, she is not moving. Uh, I mean, I don't know that her calendar is an NFL calendar because mm. she is now set where each side needs to submit some briefs by, by the week of July 11th and then she'll rule sometime after that. You know, training camp is getting close. Uh, I think the Browns' first full squad practice is the 27th. So I think the hope is still, for everyone, uh, on the football side of it, there'll be some resolution before the Browns take the field for training camp. But, again, you know, it's really all in the hands of Sue Robinson, the disciplinary officer now. Once she receives those briefs the week of July 11th, we'll see how long she takes this for a ruling. Now, the one thing that puts it back in the hands of the NFL and the NFLPA is if they reach a settlement on what, uh, the discipline is if they come out and say, okay, we've agreed to this, this is the end of the process, it's over now, there will be no further appeals. Now that ends it. But again, with where they were, with the NFL asking for an indefinite suspension of at least a year and the NFLPA at no suspension whatsoever, that's a very difficult sort of negotiation. And it's a, a, a large gulf to, to, for each side to, to deal with in order to get that kind of negotiated settlement. Is the modus to get a settlement predicated because the NFL doesn't want the PA to take this to a court and then take away Goodell's ability, even though it's been collectively bargained? You know, it's a good question. I mean, I think we've obviously seen in the past cases where, where it, under the personal conduct policy, where it, that happened. Uh, but in player discipline cases, even beyond the personal conduct policy, when you throw in Tom Brady, but we've seen... You know, the Tom Brady case, which is a player disciplinary case, but not under the personal conduct clause. That was integrity of the game. We've seen Ezekiel Elliott go to court. I, I, the question that you asked in turn of, is the league afraid that if it goes to court that Roger Goodell's authority in player discipline gets undercut? I don't think so, just for the case, just for the, for the reason that when we saw those other cases go to court, we did see the NFLPA secure some, some early victories in the courts, and we saw discipline delayed, but when you got to the end of the line on those, ultimately the league prevailed. Roger Goodell's authority in player discipline was affirmed by the courts. So I think the NFL believes that if it ended up in court, it probably would prevail again. Obviously, you never know when something goes into the court system. It might not go the way you want, but I'm not sure that that's really what's pushing it in terms of why the NFL would do anything. The Browns right now about 28-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl here, but it's all really incumbent if they can get their quarterback on the field to Sean Watson. Talk with Mark Maskey of the Washington Post. And, Mark, you and I go way back. We, we've seen you go back to, to Ben Roethlisberger. You mentioned the Tom Brady case. Do they look at, at those things as precedent and say, okay, this is what we did then, so we have to go off of that? Or do they look at it as completely different? Forget about Calvin Ridley. Forget about Brady. Forget about Ben. we got to look at this in a microscope just on its own, or do they actually take into effect what they've already done with some other high-profile cases? You know, I think precedent plays some part of it, but again, the NFL has asked for, uh, you know, fairly unprecedented level of discipline and indefinite suspension of at least one year under the personal conduct policy, so I think the NFL would be making the case that this is an unprecedented 
set of circumstances when you have the number of allegations. And for the NFL to be asking what it has asked, it must have concluded from its investigation that there is credibility to at least some of these allegations. The NFL put five cases uh, in, in front of Sue Robinson in, 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 as part of this disciplinary hearing. The NFL found that there was credibility to at least some of the allegations based on its own investigation. So, yes, I do think precedent plays some role in it. And if you look even sort of beyond the precedent of, of what's precedent in a, in a courtroom, in a quasi-courtroom <laughs> setting with this hearing, you know, how's the public going to accept this? And you look at what Major League Baseball did with Trevor Bauer, right. a suspension of two full years. Now, that's a different sport, a different collective bargaining agreement, a different system, a different set of circumstances and allegations. But again, in terms of how this will be taken by the public when it comes out, I think certainly there will be some level of comparison made by some people to the way the NFL handled Watson versus the way the MLB handled Bauer. With all this conversation going on and, you know, in Washington about Snyder, how do you think that will affect that football team with Ron Rivera? Three winning seasons in 11 years as a head coach. Can they handle all the distractions? And we only have a minute for the answer, but I would love to have you hear, hear that quickly. You know, uh, I, I, the question is we don't know. I mean, I, I think Ron Rivera has walked into this situation that was not of us doing and unfortunately for him, he's, he's now getting a decent level of practice <laughs> yeah. with dealing with these sort of things, with dealing with all these off-the-field things. And we even throw in what, what just happened with Jack Del Rio, unrelated to these other things. But I, I think he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a very good coach. He's a veteran coach. He's been around. I think you never know with that question, but I, I think you have to trust that Ron Rivera is as good a guy as anyone to be able – to make something good out of all the things that are going on. There he is, Mark Maskey. Thank Mark, you, Mark. Appreciate you so much. Yeah, happy fourth year, Thank Mark. you, guys. Appreciate it. And let's not wait two decades to talk again, all right? There Sounds he is. good, Dave. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. <laughs> the great Mark Maskey. Uh, Michael, I'm excited. I get to spend Fourth of July with you tomorrow. So Let's do it, yeah. Make sure you wear your red, white, and blue, David. I will appreciate you. Don't go anywhere. Got you covered. I'm Mason, the Sports Betting Network. BetMGM is pitching baseball fans a chance to swing for the fences. On Sunday, you can place a $25 one-game parlay on any Major League Baseball game, and you'll receive a $10 free bet that you can use on any sport regardless of your bet's outcome. Regardless of your bet's outcome. Regardless of your bet's outcome. Regardless of your... Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club.